Hello and welcome to Breaking Social. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. And we're the founders of award-winning marketing agency, Campfire. In our new podcast series, we sit down with a guest to unpick their business journey and find out their secrets to success in branding and marketing. This week, we're speaking to Matt McNeil-Love, the co-founder of the dating app Thursday. Thursday is a dating app that can only be used on Thursdays, and it encourages users to meet for a date that day. In this podcast, Matt tells us the story of setting up the app, how their past marketing failures have led to the huge successes of Thursday, how they jumped from 200th on the App Store to 7th, and how they got themselves featured on one of America's biggest TV shows, The Drew Barrymore Show. All right, so thank you so much for coming on, Matt. Just if we want to start with, how did you get started with Thursday and what is the story behind you setting up Thursday? So um, my co-founder and I, George, his background is sort of serial entrepreneur, um, went to Birmingham and then he dropped out doing the classic, you know, I, I think he didn't want to be a town planner. Um, and so wanted to sort of start his own business and had some sort of, he white labeled some video, video email software, um, but I think got bored and I think it, it wasn't very scalable. My background, I went to Sandhurst, uh, was in the army for seven years, um, left fairly recently actually, um, a regiment called the Welsh Guards. And whilst I was in the army um, about three years ago, uh, George and I, friends from school, we went on a ski trip together and a conversation came about in a bar saying, you know, it's so frustrating at the moment. How do you know who's single? You know, you can approach people um, and even if they might find you attractive, they will still potentially go back to their group of friends and be like, God, he's weird because it's just not the norm to, to sort of approach people as, as much anymore. And I think that culture is being created by dating apps at the moment. So we crowdfunded an idea called Honeypot back in the day. And that was sort of a geolocation-based app where it sort of used geofences. You checked into Vauxhall or, or Chelsea or Brixton or whatever it is, and you could see who was single around you. Um, rather amusingly, I was actually on a tour in Afghanistan at the time. So when we were going away, doing our thing, coming back and then seeing that people were investing in it. It was like, I'm living this double life. It was extraordinary. <laughs> and um, when we when I got back, we hired a developer, got the team together, released Honeypot, spent all our money that we raised, 117 grand on developers, but we couldn't market it um, because we didn't have any money left. And after about a year of sort of rather embarrassing and shameless PR stunts, um, we realized that we were never going to win in this market. It's so competitive and there is so much money in it from the big players that you need so many users for a dating app to work, to, that, you know, where you're allowed to cull each other and never see each other again. And people have preferences and niche preferences. So that you know, reduces your match capability down massively. And so we thought, you know, what can we do that's a bit radical here with our last little bit of funding? And we decided to let's just concentrate everyone to one day of the week. By doing that, we create urgency, we create a bit more excitement. Making matches um, disappear at midnight means people have to act. They can't just get a light through a match and be like, oh, yeah, great. You know, nice little ego trip for me, but I'm going to wait to see if someone fitter comes along. And it was, yeah, a fairly radical move at the time. A lot of people didn't think it was going to work. They thought we're absolutely bonkers for making an app that's turned off six days a week. They thought we're bonkers for calling it Thursday. <laughs> um, and... Uh, so far, so good. We launched a few months ago um, in London and New York. And um, yeah, we've had about 200,000 downloads so far. We're actually having a record week this week on numbers. And yeah, the, the app's getting better and better and better. And our user ship is 
skyrocketing, um, which is really exciting. And so just to summarize that for anyone listening, so the dating app is one that is only open on Thursday. It offers geolocation and you can see who's around you and where they're kind of located relative to where you are. Was there a kind of strict thought process beyond it being a novel that it's only open on Thursday? What what was the thought process behind it, for example, being on a Thursday? Or was there a thought process behind the only six days a week rather than say twice a week, for example? So a very good question. Two things. One, through the numbers that we did get, so on Honeypot, we did manage to get 25,000 downloads. We couldn't retain them very well and they culled each other very quickly. But what we did see was a, a spike in activity on Thursday, which sort of got us thinking, um, sort of be data-driven. And then when Bumble IPO'd, obviously a lot of their documents, if you do enough digging, because public company, they show usage and to an extent. And they report in sort of big cosmopolitan cities a spike in activity on a Thursday that those two sort of data-driven points coupled with the fact that you know I'm a 31-year-old guy in the in the city now, George, 29-year-old guy in the city, and we've got friends of that that era. Thursday's just the night you can go out and like you can be hungover on a Friday. It doesn't really matter. You know, the Fridays and Saturdays are always booked out with birthdays or dinners or events of some description. And it's just a lot less intimidating to go on a day on a Thursday than to say potentially you know, do you want to give up a whole Saturday evening for someone you might not like almost immediately? (laughs) (laughs) And in in answer to your second part, the reason why we did it on one day of the week instead of two, and initially we had lots of conversation about, do we do it on Thursday and a Saturday, for example? The problem is it's just not pure enough. And I think to make a real dent in today's market, especially in the B2C sort of consumer tech market, you have to be really pure about something and grow from there. I think for us, yeah, we've got other six six days of the weeks to play with. We may do, we may not. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, but what works for us is it's called Thursday and it works on Thursday. And it's it's just a really simple thing to try and understand. Honeypot, we used to struggle to try and put a sentence on it. So that's kind of the rationale as it's where we got to to here. Makes sense. I was going to ask because um, it, it sounds like, and tell me if I'm wrong, it sounds like the intention behind the app is to cause some action like the fact that it's there's a certain time frame that you can use the app being you can only use it on a thursday it sounds to me like the intention is to get people to act and either go on a date that evening or to organize a date with that time for the weekend ahead my first question is 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 that right or am i wrong, wrong in that assumption but secondly has that been the case has that actually started to happen in the results that you're seeing from the app so in answer to your first question that is absolutely the point that action is is key for us um and we're still working on our big vision strap line that we band around lots of ideas in one day you'll meet. It's got loads of different meanings to it. Um, you know, make Thursday the most exciting day to be single. But actually the whole point of Thursday is to get people face to face, be it through matching, be it through switching numbers and meeting up next week. Um, although we don't push that too hard, be it through getting Instagram handles and going from there. It's just to force action. And you know, we use the sort of analogy of Netflix. I can't remember the statistics. So I'm not going to make it up because I'll get called out on it. But the, there is a vast statistic of people who go on Netflix, spend an hour watching trailers, and then watch something they've already watched because they know that it's going to be good. And that is the sort of analogy that we work on. You know, the dating apps at the moment, Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, you can sit on them for hours and hours and hours, and you get, might get matches, you might get likes. 
but it's pretty hard to go on a date. You can go on a date, absolutely, they provide a function, but I think they've become so normalized that the novelty has gone and you've always got this, there could be someone better coming along. Um, I'll just wait, someone fitter might come along, someone who has a better job might come along or whatever it is that sort of floats your boat. And then answer your second question, so what we have seen is since we've launched about 35,000 mobile numbers swapped uh, via the app. We average about 10,000 matches a week in London and about five in New York. Um, the killer, killer metric for us is trying to work out how many of those result in dates. There is something we can do about that. It's incredibly expensive and it's very complicated and we are working on it. But for us, our whole focus is the match. And we introduced a new feature called date request, which sort of helps encourage the match. So in the chat, we're chatting, we're having a good talk. After a, after a sort of a little back, bit of back and forth, normally four messages, a thing will pop up saying, hey, you guys seem to be getting on. Send a date request. And it pops up in the chat and you can pick a bar. It'll pull in the bar's location on the map, pick a time and sort of say yes or no. Or I'll send it across via the chat, yes or no. And we found through sort of, market research on the customer relationship management side, that has been really effective. So we're going to try and explore that a bit more and just get people to be more committed. Hmm. And just as, a, as one follow-up question to what you mentioned there, that's obviously, you say 35,000 numbers exchanged, that's a, a lot of numbers. In your eyes for the app, is that a good thing or a bad thing that those numbers are being exchanged? So if you ask our investors, they will say they want to keep people on the app. Yeah. <laughs> our answer is... If people use our app every Thursday to meet someone, however they decide to meet them, however they decide to use the app, they're still coming back to the app and that's killer. Um, and for us, I think it's a dated concept, it's a dated idea that you need to keep people on your product because actually you don't, you, that's not efficient. What, what, what's efficient is logging on in half an hour, getting someone's number or a date and then not having to go back on the app because you've already sorted your Thursday or your, your date or whenever you've arranged to do it normally on Thursday. But for us, it, I think times have changed where it's not about keeping people on your product. It's about using tech to get people off your product. Um, and I think that's why we've seen the response that we've seen. I think people really resonate with it. And it's quite exciting. It's, you know, it, it's fairly radical. Um, and there will be a lot of much more successful, much more established companies that would absolutely rip me apart for that. But we're doing something right. <laughs> One question that I wanted to ask just from the perspective of sort of marketing and customer acquisition and customer retention was with a lot of these other traditional apps that maybe encourage more sort of passive browsing of other people versus your version that encourages uh, action through urgency. What I did want to ask was, is the trade-off of that urgency being created by the app only being open on a Thursday, does that come at the expense of not being able to create that kind of addictive loop effect of someone getting push notifications more regularly and therefore forming a habit with the app in that sense. Do you find that it being only open on a Thursday kind of comes at a cost of that urgency being created? Really, really good question. And um, it's something that we always discuss that how can you, you know, is it sticky enough to have it open one day of the week? And we have banded around since we've launched, you know, oh God, like, there's a reason why this hasn't been done before. Um, and uh, the, the answer is, as it stands, our attention is really big, is really, really good. So if you download the app, the chances of you coming back, it's, let's say you download the app on the first of the month, it's four weeks in this particular month. 
you will come back, the average user, 2.7 times that month. And the chance of you staying as it stands, but we've got limited data, we've only been around for three months, you will stay for a minimum of two months. So it, yes, it's hard to get the habit forming, you know, drag people on using clever systems that we've now got in place, a company called Braze and a few other companies which are brilliant at the probing and sort of invoking emotion. But I think what's really addictive about our product and what gets people coming back is the fact that if you go on a date, you've achieved the goal. And it's so widely discussed. If I, if I meet up or, or some of our marketing interns, for example, go and meet with their friends, the first topic of conversation after the, hey, how are you? How's your family? It's like, are you seeing anyone? How's that relationship with that guy? Oh, it's broken up. Have you go on any dates recently? That is so prevalent among young professionals. I think it's prevalent amongst everyone in a certain age, to be honest, especially amongst big groups of single people, because it's it's so it's just such a big part of life. And so I think for us, if we can facilitate dates, that's the real addiction. And that's the really cool bit because we're getting people to meet and that's addictive. Yes, there is lots of stuff we can do with tech to make that more addictive and help that. But I also think, again, looking at the way Apple have just pulled all their um, you know, tracking stuff, which caused chaos for Facebook. And I think the world's moving away from this and, and wisening up to it. I think we want to create a real connection which will last longer than the fact they get a push notification when they're feeling particularly low or their self-esteem's low. I was going to say, I, I do see where you're coming from and I, and I agree. I think there's a, I think a lot of people these days, I think especially in, in younger generations as well, are becoming naturally more aware of how long uh, a time is going into the apps that are on the phone and actively trying to, you know, limit that. A lot of people now are using, you know, time tracking and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think you, I, I agree with you in that respect. One question I did want to ask, and it's something we were actually discussing um, when we were sort of leading up to the, up to this podcast, because um, it was something that we noticed about the dating apps that were in existence, obviously uh, prior to, to Thursday um, being launched, is that they seem to fit into a certain. Uh, character type, if you will, like there's a there's an app for a certain type of person, or for the for what it is that you're looking for. Is that something that's come into discussion with Thursday? Is that something you thought about? And if so, is is there a certain characteristic that th- that Thursday's most applicable to? <laughs> yeah, I think I know where you might be leading with this question, <laughs> and <laughs> we may have had it before. <laughs> um, we're not a hookup app, um, and the yeah, there is absolutely because of the time pressure and the time sensitive thing, you know, Tinder very openly used the campaign, Hey, you up, which I couldn't believe they did, but they know their market and they're still part of match group who are the biggest dating group in the world. You know, they're not stupid. Um, Bumble female empowerment. And that's a you know powerful message to, to keep treading Tinder again, invented the swipe hinge friends of friends. And it's sort of, I suppose, more respectful dating. I think with us, of course, there is people who will use Thursday to try and get a one-night stand or meet a girl or a guy or whatever late at night. And yes, we do have a spike in activity. Toward, there's various spikes throughout the day and interesting times, but one of those uh, middle spikes is that you know, mad rush before midnight. I think we try really hard in our messaging and our brand because we are sassy and we, are, we do talk about sex and we do talk about one-night stands and we do talk about cheating which is all very relatable to our audience. We try really hard to come away from use this to hook up. However, what I will come back with is you can use Hinge to have a one night stand. You can use Bumble to, I don't know, get friends with benefits or whatever it is. It, it's something we are 
aware of and it's something that we just try in all our messaging to steer away from if that makes sense but it's a very valid question we get it a, a fair amount i do think that's something that comes across really well in the marketing strategy that you use actually there's something even though there's not like a specific a very specific message behind uh, the marketing strategy it's like a human element that comes through i think it's because um Joe and I's background is is uh, creating content for large communities and content that travels quite far and wide and goes viral of its own volition. And a lot of that was uh, looking at content as a tool for communication rather than something that needed to advertise a product or service. And that might be things like, as an example, one that we made was a, it was like a a fake video of a student having like an over-exaggerated meltdown in a library, for example, and that got hundreds of millions of views. And it was because people could express how stressed they were through that piece of content by sharing it. And that's almost something that you've captured really well with Thursday's marketing strategy um, and the kind of guerrilla content that you get out there. Because I've been sent content from Thursday organically just from people that have taken pictures of of people on the street that you've got out there. So do you want to talk a little bit about how you landed on that particular route rather than maybe a more traditional sort of Facebook ads and paid media? So uh, well, thank you very much. And I, I'm glad you've been sent it. I think that's that's really cool. Um, we, we learn about the importance of making either shock, humour or relatable or all three ideally and plug if you can without it being awful through desperation when we didn't have money to market Honeypot. And we learned a lot from that, you know, for all the stunts that you would have seen, there were so many that didn't work and there were so many where we got the tone of voice wrong or the angle was wrong. I think for us, our strategy now, going viral as you guys do and well know, that is the dream because you've hit something, you've clearly invoked a reaction in people that is so relatable that they're prepared in their precious time whether subconscious or not to share it with their friends. And that is killer because your CAC for downloads and everything else is so cheap. We encourage things to go viral by layering the stunts, which are so effective. So it would do a stunt, great. It will invoke a reaction. There'll be a subtle plug to Thursday. Either it just says, you know, my boyfriend cheated on me on Thursday and we'll just make the Y the same as our Y on our logo. That's it. And then what we'll do is we'll take that, we'll leave the stunt up going. If it's going really well and people, loads of people are taking photos and it's going nuts, which does happen, but it also sometimes doesn't, we'll take the, that photo and we'll put it on LinkedIn with a really killer caption. LinkedIn is the best marketing tool going, country mile, better algorithm than anywhere else, better than Instagram, Facebook. It, it, it's, it's free if you like something, your network can see that you've liked something. One of them likes something, their network can see. like, And it's just killer. And that's really, really, really helped us. So we layer it with LinkedIn. And then what we now do, if it's good enough and big enough, we work with two of the biggest meme accounts in the world. And we will, we've got a very good partnership with them. And we'll come up, come with some deal where we're like, guys, let's, let's push this now. And we won't plug Thursday really. Um, and it's kind of the, that layered approach, which is killer. In answer to the more traditional stuff, so the out-of-home stuff, we've done that as well. Um, but I don't think you can do any of it independently because I think the out-of-home stuff, whilst it's really difficult, you know, the bus stop billboards, buses, whilst it's really, really effective, especially if you have a really cool billboard, we had some that went pretty viral about Hinge, you can have the kids six days a week, Thursday. And, you know, the only thing we have in common with Tinder is the letter R. I mean, grammatically, that's not correct. So after we did it, we're like, oh no, there's a few other letters that we have in common. 
<laughs> Whoopsie. Um, but, uh, and then Bumble, you know, I can't remember the one with Bumble, but that went pretty well as well. But it, it's not enough to have that by itself. And so what we've realized is, and we're working out our playbook, our city rollout playbook is out of home, great, because people will see a, an advert on a bus stop or a taxi or a car or a tube. They might not download it because there's no real call to action, but they will immediately be like, oh, that's legitimate. <laughs> Like, that's cool. And then they'll see maybe a performance ad thing campaign we're running on Instagram or Facebook or Snap. And they'll be like, oh, okay, now I've seen it again. And then they might see something on LinkedIn and, and whichever way around it all works. And it's like, wow, okay, I've now seen this on three massive areas of my life. I've got to give this a go. Or I've at least got to tell my friends about it. And so for us, we definitely don't discount doing performance marketing and the more traditional stuff. But I think just doing it by itself is A, incredibly expensive and the CAC will always be incredibly high and layering it with viral campaigns is is a really winning combination. I think we've, you know, our Instagram account's grown about, I think it's now grown about 70,000, no, that's a lie, 60,000 in the last two weeks. Our downloads have absolutely skyrocketed and I think it's because of this layered approach and people like different aspects of it are there any similar traits of the like have you traced that spike in downloads back to any specific activity and then are there any similar traits that you've found between the pieces that have caused those spikes so the what we've found most recently we've had the most success in the last two weeks in, in, in this and it's always an evolving process as you guys well know what has been killer for us is something going viral on linkedin and then using these big meme accounts and not using an influencer who's going to charge the same as a meme account with 29 million followers, layer that, and that seems to be an absolutely killer combo. Um, the challenge that brands will face is working with the meme accounts because they don't work with everybody and they don't want to work with everybody. So they, we've got a tone of voice for, for some of these accounts that suits them and it suits their audience, which is why on Puberty, for example, one of our posts the performance we get on the post that they'll do about us gets more likes in on, on mass than the vast majority of their other stuff because it's relatable, it's singles, it's dating. And I think that led with LinkedIn is great because you have the meme account, which is funny, what a joke, what a crap company, to LinkedIn, which is, oh my God, that's been viewed 2 million times and it's got 150, 200,000 likes like, or whatever it is, or 2,000, 20,000 likes. It's a sort of double whammy. And we find most of our users have both. <laughs> That is such a good point as well about anyone that does uh, want to use meme accounts to market is that it's so important that you've got the right brand for a meme account because having run meme accounts in the past ourselves, we all know that you're so protective over your reach and, and over your product and your followers that you don't want to work with anyone that isn't willing to play along with the idea of becoming a meme. So it's so good for, for you guys that you're willing to lean into that. And yeah, interesting. We, we've also learned a really killer there seems to be a trend on LinkedIn at the moment where it's so self-congratulatory and we do it a little bit if we've had a hit a milestone. So with George, my co-founder and I, often the stuff we post on LinkedIn is us just taking the mick out of each other and it will be, he'll post something that says, I don't know, isn't this awesome? Um, or I'll, sorry, I'll post something recently about going from uh, number 184 on the global social networking app store charts to number eight on a campaign we did last week or seven, I think. I think it might be eight. And he'll come at being, yeah, but it's not podium finish, is it, mate? And it's like this sort of self-deprecating, okay, guys, we're doing something here. And the reason why we're doing it is not to pat ourselves on the back, 
but it's to get the brand out and be like, oh my God, I've seen that. That's amazing. Coupled with, yeah, but mate, you're a joke. <laughs> like you're, you're a loser. Like you built a dating app and you're still single. Like this is not good marketing. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, I think that's been really, really cool. Like, so self-deprecation, if you can get away with it and do it in the right manner, I think is really, really killer. And it gets people, it wins people over because Brits are not inherently famous for wanting other Brits to do well. It's just not a thing. Even my close mates, you know, they love them to bits, but you know, every time we have a bit of a win at Thursday, I know that they just hate it. <laughs> and so, but whereas you know, mates in America and our American market is the total opposite. They all just champion each other. It's extraordinary. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny market the difference. One of the things that I wanted to ask is is more so about what you've learned throughout this process. And I think you've you mentioned there that you've got now this sort of layered marketing approach where you know you've done out of home that provides maybe a little bit of, of social proof about the quality of the of the brand in the app. Um, you do have your bottom of funnel sort of so like paid marketing on socials that are, are targeting potential users, and then almost like these viral campaigns through LinkedIn, through the, the meme accounts that you partner with. Um, it sounds like you've got a really powerful mix now that you're sure of um, and, and is working. Um, but you mentioned earlier on that you know, there, there have been times where maybe they weren't exactly up to scratch or maybe used the wrong tone of voice. What were some of the mistakes that you potentially made earlier on when, when getting started? So, um, how do I say this without shooting myself in the foot? We, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we did, it's actually online, so it doesn't matter, but we did a campaign when we had, we were building a mailing list in London um, during, just before the first lockdown, I think, and we were building a mailing list, getting people warmed up to the idea that we we're going to release something big and, you know, we're going to do it in real life events and we're going to make people match. And we had a database of about 5,000 people in London, singles. Great. Good start. George and I do this thing called pointless pints. And so we'll go and have a pint and just be like, let's just hash out the most stupid ideas because something good might come from it. Went for a pint and we're like, mate, how do we grow this mailing list without keep spending this money on Facebook ads? How do we get these people to talk? Didn't have a product, didn't really have a brand at that point. It was called Thursday, but it was nothing to what it is now. And so we emailed our entire mailing list, um, an email that was leaked from the chairman, written by us, that basically said to the Thursday team, it you know, is with great sadness that I have to write this. You know, it's come to my attention that two uh, members of staff used the boardroom, didn't even have a boardroom, used the boardroom for... Um, for a night of passion and something or other, and you know, we're caught on CCTV. Um, you know, this is what a just what a horrible, upsetting thing to have happened in our new offices, and this is not the culture we want to da 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 da. Needless to say, you might notice that in the office, one of the co-founders isn't here today. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we sent this out to the entire mailing list. Oh my god, our <laughs> our inbox just exploded and it was about five minutes in when we I think we had about a thousand responses being like are you sure this is meant to go to me this is the wrong mailing list da, da, da. oh and the, the, the PS on the thing was you know, please keep this strictly confidential between ourselves it was about ten, five ten minutes in when our inbox exploded and George and I were like this was a bad idea and we rode it out and there was a journalist from Sifted um, who's owned by um, the Financial Times who was like a dog with a bone with us and they just hounded us and hounded us you know, try to get a comment, try to get a comment. Is it real? Is it not? Did Tim resign? All this, our chairman, um, which he actually did, but not in relation to that. He knew we were doing this stunt. And that was fascinating. It was a bit of a dark day. What was 
fascinating. So we got that wrong. We got a lot of hate. About 70% was loved it. WhatsApp groups were observed. About 30% lots of hate and lots of unsubscribes. We grew to about 15,000 people on the mailing list in about three hours. <laughs> and so that's an example of where risk versus reward. We would never do something like that now. But it was a really effective way of growing quite quickly and making noise. Would we do it again? I mean, it's got us this far, but I know it's too risky. Um, so that's, a, I think, a fairly good example of where it's kind of paid off, but at the risk of reputation, which is a hard thing to gain and a very easy thing to lose. <laughs> I think as well, people can almost appreciate those kinds of sort of more scrappy marketing tactics uh, now, especially when it's that kind of almost, it, it becomes clear that it's a joke in the end. And I think it's usually almost appreciated in a digital world where a lot of the campaigns that we're seeing are more typical and maybe don't catch our interest as much. I think Thursday and yourselves are doing a really, really good job of kind of creating that style of content that is a pattern interrupt and really does stop you from scrolling, especially on LinkedIn as well. Um, I think it's a really interesting platform to use, especially for your kind of strategy, because I think young professionals are used to seeing things about work, things about uh, other people's CVs or achievements. And then you you see something like a guy stood in the street with a sign that says, like, I cheated on my girlfriend on Thursday and this is my punishment or something like that. I think that's the one that I got sent. And it's got, you know, tens of thousands of likes. It's, it works as a really, really strong pattern interrupt and certainly makes you remember the app and the platform. Mm. Yeah, and I think the key thing is with that, we always will follow up with the comments. So it's always, I know it, everything looks very slapdash, but it's fairly thought through. So we're like, right, what are we going to respond to this? If journalists come knocking, which at the moment is happening a lot, you know, are we going to respond or are we just going to no comment everybody? And like, we, we think through every angle to try and maximise the exposure and soften us. And the other thing we've, we've learned is in our, through our Instagram feed, through a lot of the stuff we do on the app, we'll do a really aggressive, quite brash marketing stunt and then the next thing we do or post will be really soft and genuine. And there was that phone number you could call in, in, in Edinburgh if a girl was walking home, for example. You know, we partnered with them and it was brilliant. And our users loved it. It's not why we did it. We didn't actually care about it. We care about our users. But it works really well, this really aggressive, got to go get you. And then, oh, by the way, we actually are genuinely quite a cool company who care about our users and care about women's safety, care about dating safely and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I think that that approach has made us likable. I think, I mean, tell me if I'm not. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think you can, you can definitely feel that human side to the brand coming through. And I think it's just something that maybe naturally happens with a lot of the other dating apps. You kind of, the more people that get involved and the more layers that these kinds of strategies need to go through, I think you, you lose some of that more human or, or risky marketing uh, that you're able to do. But yeah, it's a, it's a really strong strategy that you're, that you're using at the moment. And it's definitely something that's caught my attention. One thing that, that we've noticed with, uh, Instagram as well is that you seem to flick between uh, private and public. Do you want to talk us through that strategy? It's extremely effective. <laughs> um, <laughs> people want what they can't have. And once you follow an account, it's very difficult, unless you really, really care to know if they've gone public or private, like if you're already following them. What we've noticed, if we do a really big campaign, so for example, we're private at the moment because we, as of I think about an hour ago, we were being discussed on Drew Barrymore's chat show in America. And so our follows right now, if I check, will be 
ridiculous. Yeah, so it's not nine 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 plus. I can't see how many in total, but it will be it will be thousands. By making it private, people are like, what's this? I need to get in on this. I need to see this. How can I see this content? And it works. It, I mean, it works a treat because people then follow and then they get accepted and then they're less likely to unfollow because you know they think they're going to have to wait to follow again. If we do a post that's going to go very viral, we'll then make it public because then people will share the post. And it's so we 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 balance it. I don't know many brands that do it. I'm sure it's probably not best practice under Instagram's sort of guide, but it's working a treat for us. I think our Instagram account compared to Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, you know, billion dollar companies is the most engaged dating app account in the world. Um, not for followers, but in terms of engagement, it's by a country mile. And it's kind of the way we've got around it. It's really interesting. And like we've, you know, we've deployed tra- tactics like that in the past. And it sounds like what you're actually doing which is smart, by the way, but it sounds like what you're doing is almost learning exactly how people think when they're using these apps, like how they feel when they do certain things, and then playing into that by creating a strategy that that, that creates these emotions around them. So if 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 there's a feeling of FOMO or, or like you know, like you said with LinkedIn, if there's an, an abundance of self congratulation content, and then there's something that stops that sort of endless cycle of same of similar content with something that stands out a mile off. Um, that you can then share. It sounds like you're, you're doing a very good job of, of learning the different platforms and how they operate on there and then creating it something that's completely against the grain to, to make sure that you stand out and, and, and get attention. Thank you. I think something we've, we've learned, and we're very humble, we're a relatively small team. What we've learned in this whole journey so far is we're not the experts in this at all. But I would also argue neither are the massive corporate companies who get it wrong every single day. You know, we will figure stuff out and we'll test stuff and we can we take more risk. But sometimes it is just gut feeling. And it's just like, would I like that post? Like, is that going to, or am I going to look at that post and be like, it's a plug, like, great, but I've seen loads of this. And we, we try and humanize it as much as possible. And we, the great thing about our office is it's, you know, 80% developers, 20% sort of the other side of the business. And so we'll go to the developers and say, guys, what do you think of this? And these guys are extraordinarily bright. They will either be like, mm, don't get it, or yeah, okay, quite funny, or that's hysterical. And we'll try and get a rounded opinion on, guys, would you like this if you saw it? Like, would this stop you? And if the overwhelming feeling is, yeah, we would, then we're like, well, let's, let's give it a crack. Um, I don't think you can go too wrong as long as you don't deeply offend people, which is really hard in this day and age because you could put up a picture of two rabbits and if one's not fluffy enough, you, you're going to get criticism. But as long as you don't deeply offend people through, you know, racism, sexism, misogynistic stuff, then I think it's a fairly fair game to give it a go. Hundred percent. And so, one question that we did want to ask, considering that you're kind of now in the the world of dating and online dating and facilitating that, what do you think the future of that looks like? I thought you were about to ask me if I'm still single. <laughs> 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 You worst, can answer that if you want yeah, as well. No, George and I are the worst case studies. We're, we're the worst case studies ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, where do I think Data Amp Squad is going to go? I think the video dating stuff was a very quick move by very big companies to facilitate COVID and lockdown. But I think it is insanely boring. And I think I don't know anybody who sits at home and is like, I'm going to jump on a video date now. Like It's clever move, kept them afloat, kept them current. I think what we're seeing is, and COVID has absolutely 
encourage this shift in mentality, people want experiences and they want stuff to happen in real life and they want stuff more quickly now than ever. And you see that with the launch of and the rise of companies like Gorilla, Zap, all these people. People want speed, like time is so precious. And so I think the in real life bit and the experiences is, is going to be where clever dating apps <laughs> will move because people are more sensitive, as, as you said earlier, about their time. They're more sensitive about their mental health. They're more sensitive about having a wholesome existence than before COVID. It kind of maybe wasn't so much that way. It was more about living for the weekend and who really cares. But now, you know, there's a reason why Monopoly, one of the biggest board games in the world, are now opening up venues where they have experiences. You know, it's so off-brand for them, but people want experiences. And, it's, and if you can get it right, and it's a hard thing to get right, and we're learning with a feature we just released called After Party, if you get it right, I think it's killer because inherently people like being around people. And if you don't like that, then you're not going to like our app. So don't bother. And as a follow-up question to that, um, how is Thursday going to facilitate that? And do you have any large plans in the future to be able to get there? So we released a feature two weeks ago called After Party. And basically the only way you can get onto it is by using the app and seeing the map view and seeing who's around you. But there's a, a, a beacon on a bar that just fl- sort of flashes. And if you click that beacon, it will pop up with a sort of content card, if you like. And on the content card currently, so we've got tonight in uh, a venue in Vauxhall and, and one in New York. If you click on the content card, it pops up and it will say, uh, Cotton's you know, Vauxhall, that's where it is tonight. Um, the address, time, six to eight, first come, first served. Not a shitty speed dating event, just a bar, outside seating, DJ, everyone single, big after party, no tickets needed, just show up, show, your, show up and show your profile on the door. We did this as a test two weeks ago and in a 400 capacity bar in Shoreditch. That night, we had to open up four more bars very quickly because the the demand was just huge. And in New York, same thing happened last week. And the one this week is we're now panicking and and, um, the team are currently on the phone to New York, which is tricky, uh, desperately trying to get another venue somewhere on the other side of New York. So this feature, and I stress it is a feature, it's not the product, giving people a different experience. So you can use Thursday to go on a date and match individuals or you can chat to this person and say, do you want to meet at the after party? Or you might not get a match because not everyone does. You might not get people through that you, you like, but you have got the option, which is added value, to go to an after party and be in a bar. Normal bar, there's no branding, anything. You just have to show that you've got a profile to the bounce from the door um, and be surrounded by other single people. And it's going really well. Like th- this one tonight will be, they'll, they'll be absolutely sold out. And I think it's it's, it's really cool and it's, it's changed our or it's proven our theory which is people want to meet more quickly and more efficiently and they're, they're, they are fun and, and singles behave differently this is also fascinating to anyone that cares about money the bar spends for example in the in the one in shortage we had to guarantee an eight grand bar spend which because they, and they thought that was what they normally do on a thursday night although the manager actually said to us last thursday they did 800 quid so we got a bit mugged off there they did 26 grand the one in New York, similar numbers. The one we did, uh, we had four in London last week. Exactly the similar thing. Like the minimum spend that they're giving us, we're almost, if if not doubling, almost just, if not a little bit more. And it's because singles behave differently. And all the bouncers and the bar staff we've spoken to, there's no fights. There's no um, big groups of guys being aggressive and laddie because everyone's sort of on best behavior. <laughs> so it's a really fascinating, it's, it's quite interesting. It's, it's really interesting to see how, a group of singles put together sort of react and they all know that everyone's there because they're on Thursday and therefore they all know that everyone there is single. So it's kind of, yeah, it's fascinating. 
And just just asking from the perspective of someone that is single, not me. Um, do you do anything to control the ratios in those uh, events? Because I can imagine, like as a guy, lots of guys seeing that notification and rushing to that to yeah, that spot. Yeah, do you that was, anything? That was our do, is, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is there anything that you do to to control that, or do you do find do you find that just organically there's a kind of equal number of of girls and guys? So, good question. That was a concern I had this whole concept from the very beginning. Because that is just not, it just would, there's no longevity in that. It'll be a novelty. Um, so we're lucky in that 55% of our users are female. So we've got a head start in that sense. We aren't yet monitoring ratios and, and things like that. But if I'm being completely honest, and I'm probably unbiased, the numbers are pretty even. I can't give you exact numbers because I'd be lying to you. But the if you went to one of these after parties, it's a fairly even split. And the other thing that's even more fascinating is it is an incredibly diverse crowd. And you see, I think you'd really struggle to pigeonhole these events. When we release a feature on the app, we will see if it works before doubling down on it and making it better. This is working. And so in the next sprint, which starts on Monday, it will be a good proportion. The dev time will be, let's make it. So if you say, like, you're going. So we've got, I think, 1,100 people saying they're going to the one in a 400 capacity bar in Vauxhall tonight. If you click on it, for example, you can see the gender split, or you can see the age demographic, and that would add more value. It will also lead us into doing LBGTQ plus events, um, over 40s only events, because we've got a fair market of those, you know, 21 and below sort of student vibe. It will allow us to play around with these a bit more. Um, but no, in general, it, it was a fairly even split, to be totally honest. Um, I imagine these uh, after parties must be quite a good quite a good moment for growth in new users surely uh, potentially anyway just because people i imagine wouldn't go alone to these things so they're probably telling the friends right and being like can you download this so we can go <laughs> so and so yeah and again that was another one of my concerns actually because i was like you're just gonna have mates turning up who aren't single just downloading the app and do we care not really if everyone's there because they they know everyone's single but they brought their best girl mate who's you know, engaged or in a relationship, or probably not engaged, that's a bit of a giveaway, but, you know, in a relationship, then, you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, a, a guy or a girl will hit on her and she'll just do what every girl or guy is entitled to do and be like, sorry, not interested. Um, so it does work. And the marketing-wise, it's, it's gone a bit bonkers because a lot of the taglines we use is, you know, with the dating app for the dating app haters. If you hate dating apps, Thursday's for you. I mean, it's slight gray area because we're a dating app. But we didn't have any way of actually putting our money where our mouth is. But now with After Party as this feature, we are putting our money where our mouth is. And so it's difficult to apportion how many more downloads we get off the back of these After Parties because we've had two really, we launched two weeks ago, the After Party, and we've had two really, the highest growth we've ever had in these last two weeks through a number of things. But it's, it's, it's difficult to apportion exactly. I think the real tell will be whether whether or not they last, and it's not a fad. One more question I had was just around everything we've talked about here about your your view on online dating and what it is that you're trying to provide through Thursday. It constantly comes back by what it sounds like to me is that providing action, providing something that you, you're going to go and take action on, going on a date, meeting someone new, and it sounds like that's the focus that you're going on. Do you think? You know the other dating apps that are out there who arguably maybe aren't focusing on that and maybe are focusing on things like retention on the app or you know time spent and things like this um what is your view on those other apps and what is your relationship with those other apps um very 
I've said this to every single question because everyone's been good, but very good question. The, <laughs> we don't compare ourselves to other dating apps other than Tinder, Bumble and Hinge. Why? Because there's some enormously big, successful dating apps out there, but they are the biggies. Um, and, you know, aim high. And, you know, if you fall a little bit short, I'm fairly happy with that. So what's our relationship with them? We call them out quite a lot and we can get away with it because we're small. And Tinder have sent us a letter to take something down from a lawyer and that went swiftly to our lawyers. <laughs> like, oh God, have we taken it too far? Bumble, um, we have quite a close relationship with, with a couple of individuals there who are watching us pretty closely. Tinder, we uh, Hinge, nothing to do with them really. Um, what's my view of them? I think they all provide a, f- a service. They all are clearly crazily successful. And I think they might need to start thinking about doing a few things differently soon. But, you know, they are, it'd be like me, it's a difficult question because it'd be like me, I'm going to release a new red sports car. What do you think of Ferrari? Ferrari's crap. Well, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're incredibly impressive. I think why we've done what we've done and where we see ourselves, I think we will, going forward, it will be, are you on Tinder, Bumble and Hinge? And I think going forward, it will be, are you on Tinder, Bumble, Hinge and Thursday? And I think because they all provide a slightly different function. Um, and interestingly, most people who claim to be single and claim to be on dating apps have 3.3, have a, however you can have a third of an app on your phone, three, three, three apps on their phone. Um, so as long as we can be one of them, I think we're in a very, a very potentially powerful place. All right. Thanks, Matt. I think that's a really good way to... Uh, wind up the podcast and I think if we're ever in ever in London we'd love to come for a oh guys yeah please do yeah absolutely come for a pointless pint normally I'll be honest it's it's normally more than one (laughs) (laughs) thank you Matt for coming on to the podcast and best of luck with the continued growth of Thursday thank you to everyone who tuned into this episode of Breaking Social make sure you subscribe to us so you're notified when an episode drops and if you want to keep up with what we're doing at campfire make sure to follow us on the socials in the show notes we'll be back next tuesday with another episode